Welcome to the chat. I'm Katherine Glassby, Public Information Director for Chatham County. This is our podcast where we get to talk about all things Chatham. Our goal is to talk about our services that we provide to our residents and our visitors here in Chatham County. And with me today is Abby Murphy. Hey everybody. Um, and joining us is Diane with Chatham 911 Communication Services. She's the director. And Russ, he is the deputy director of Chatham 911 Communication Services. Diane and Russ, would you mind telling us a little bit about yourselves, a little background you have? Well, um, I've been with uh, in the 911 industry for 33 years. I actually joined the department, uh, Chatham County Police Department, uh, 1986 of St. Patrick's Day. Oh, wow. So I um, had a really uh, bang of a, an indoctrination. <laughs> um, I worked in the records department initially, but I had um, actually spent a brief stint as a police officer um, about a year or so prior. Mm-hmm. So that gave me a good idea of how the operation would go from the street perspective as well as uh, when I was asked to become one of the first four communications officers to civilianize uh, the 911 center. Prior to that, um, the center was actually manned by police officers, and I spent quite a bit of time in the radio room um, as a dispatcher uh, during my stint as a police officer. Um, When we initially started the 911 center, or civilianized the 911 center, was myself and three other dispatchers who actually uh, implemented that process. We implemented the very first uh, emergency medical dispatch program for the Chatham County Police Department. Uh, Then in 2003, 2004, we began making the preparations to consolidate with Savannah Police Department's 911 department. And uh, we, that actually stayed in place for 15 years. And now we're back with Chatham County as a standalone 911 department. So we, we are making history in several different kinds of ways. Absolutely. And let's just talk about that for a second. You guys came back to the county as the Chatham 911 Communication Services in 2018? 2018, January 1. And, and I know it's been a transition, and we're going to get into some of those things about transition, but... I just want to say welcome, welcome to the family. I mean, you've been here for a year or two now, but welcome to the family. Uh, it's, it's a very, um, it's a vo- very loving family to be in, Team Chatham, and we're happy to have you guys back. Great, thank you. We're glad to be back, and uh, uh, we enjoyed our tenure as a part of the Metropolitan Police Department. Uh, but we are now able to focus on. All things 911, whereas before, uh, although we had uh, 911 duties, we the 911 center had other duties to perform as well. Um, so now we're able that we're related to police um, and other functions that were a part of the um, police operation. So now, although we're still dispatching for the police agencies, um, we are able to focus more on 911 specific. Um, details that are inherent to the success of the 911 department. Russ, it's your turn. All right. Well, uh, I am the newest member of the management team at Team Shadow 911. I've been here seven months now, almost to the date. So uh, I can agree with what you said. It's been a wonderful place. It's been super inviting to come in and join the team. So I'm glad to be here. Um, 
I've been doing this for 12 years now. Um, right before I came over here, I was the 911 director in Dublin, Lawrence County. Um, so I started off in fire and EMS. So Miss Diane started off in the police side. I started off in the fire and EMS side and then kind of transitioned later on into the 911 world. And here I am, 12 years later, still loving it. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm glad to, that both of you are here today to, to talk about this. You guys have a, a combined experience that is amazing. I'm not sure you get that in a lot of departments um, to have that much kind of combined experience. You have another member of your your management team as well that's not here today, and I know that she has uh, a lot of experience as well that brings to the table when, you, when you're talking about uh, management of a 911 center. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she'll be in other shows when, when – She's available. Somebody's got to be the cook at the, the office, right? Um, so let's let's talk about, you, you mentioned it a little bit, Diane. When you were at a part of uh, Savannah Chatham Metropolitan Police Department, that you guys had more duties than just answering 911 calls. Is that the case today? That is the case today. Um, can If we back, can back up just mm-hmm. a little bit, um, our other deputy director is Judith McCook. Okay. Um, she is actually over operations. Russ is over the technical aspect of the operation. Um, and basically, she runs the center. Um, she and her operations coordinator who determine, uh, they actually make sure everything runs smoothly, calls are dispatched appropriately. Um, all of our customers get the level of service that uh, that they're entitled to. Uh-huh. Um, we do, uh, we handle warrants. We handle, uh, as far as hit confirmation requests, for instance, a lot of people think that if there's a warrant out there on a person that once the officer stops an individual or comes in contact with that individual, that they can just make an arrest. No, they can't. Uh-huh. Um, there's a lot of details that go, that are involved in making sure that process is handled direct correctly. And, uh, that, you know, you don't arrest the same person for an incident twice. Um, we handle animal services. We dispatch uh, for animal services after hours and whenever they um, don't have anyone that's available to handle their dispatch services. Uh, we do on-call notifications for law enforcement officers, calling out public information whenever there's an incident that sure. warrants that. Um, so we handle a lot of administrative non-emergency type situations. However, because we're an emergency operations center, we try to keep those kinds of things out of the 911 center as much as possible. Um, We handle 911 services for uh, 14 different agencies. Wow. Um, Actually 15, because we dispatch EMS, police, and fire countywide with the exception of for Tybee. They have their own Uh public safety answering point. Sure. Um, but we assist every agency in Chatham County. Um, wow. We maintain service agreements with all of these agencies so that uh, being the primary public safety answering point, if they need our help for anything, we're there. Yeah, I, I can imagine that that's in some ways overwhelming because you're, you're dispatching for so many different agencies, taking calls for so many different agencies. But I can understand on the other side where it all needs to come to one place. Yes. Because, let's face it, if I'm in an accident in a certain area, I'm I'm not going to know if it's Port Wentworth, Bloomingdale, Pooler, unincorporated Chatham, but you guys know. You can know based on, on 
where the person's calling from, the address, so you know who to, to dispatch to help them, right? Yes, we have um, a computer-aided dispatch system that aids our, our dispatchers and call takers and actually correctly um, uh, indicating the address in the, in the system so that it can be farmed to the dispatcher. A lot of uh-huh. people also think that the person who answers the phone is the same person that dispatches the call. Well, that's not That was me true. until I went to see you guys. <laughs> uh, as it, the way that it works is the call comes in, a call taker answers the phone, uh, they determine what kind of services are needed, where the service is needed, and they put that information into a computer-aided dispatch system, and that information is actually farmed to um, another dispatcher who may be in another room mm-hmm. um, for dispatch. So accuracy is very important when it comes to the public knowing what information the personnel in the 911 department need to have um, and uh, actually how to give it to us. Mm-hmm. So that's why um, we are kind of ramping up our initiatives when it comes to public awareness, when it comes to the most critical kinds of calls, down to the most administrative level types of calls. It's important that the public knows how to give us information, especially when you got a situation like an active shooter or something, those those emergency calls that are becoming more and more common in the 911 environment. Uh, when, when I was first with the Chatham County Police Department, there were times when we would go like on a Sunday maybe, a whole day without a really critical type of call. Mm-hmm. But now... It seems as though we're getting emergent calls, very critical, related, critical type calls every day. Uh-huh. So we need to make sure that the public knows how to help us get help to them by giving us the information in a certain format so that we'll know, first of all, where is the emergency? Uh-huh. Uh, what's happening? Uh, how many people are involved? All of those things are critical in us knowing how to send the proper response. Absolutely. Well, and you mentioned that you are receiving more and more calls. Uh, about how many calls do you get daily? That that call I'll direct to, to Russ. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, we get about 1,600 calls a day. Um, we average uh, right at 50,000 a month. Some months is more, some months is less. But on average, we receive about 50,000 calls, so roughly 1,600 and some change a day. So what does that come to yearly? Because I can't do that math that quick in my head. Uh, we're last year we finished out just under was it just under just over seven hundred thousand calls seven hundred. We it we can call it seven hundred thousand and that be pretty yeah. accurate. Yeah. That's that's a lot. That's, that's a lot. You know we we went to um, another nine one one center in Tennessee. Diane, you you and I right. were on that trip. Um, we were going up to to look at a facility, and they were a comparable community to right. us um and size and economic um social things were, were very similar um but it blew me away when they had like a third of the calls right. that we have um and, and, and we were all talking about it and nobody seems to really understand why we're that much higher it isn't like we're this horrible place to come to um it's a it's a safe community but there's just a lot more calls to, to 911. That means that it's much more taxing to your staff. You've got to have more staff. Mm-hmm. It you is. Know. And the nature of this work is such that, you know, a high stress, fast paced environment, 
um, not everyone can do this kind of work. Um, for instance, we are critical workforce personnel and our personnel have to stay when everybody else is leaving Chatham County uh, because of a hurricane or because of some other situation which may deem it necessary um, for the city to be evacuated. So that, uh, we've had a few drills here lately. Uh -huh. um, that is very taxing uh, on anybody. So you kind of really find out during instances like that whether you're suited for this job. Um, and also, uh, we've had staff who've been the very last people that a caller may speak to in life. Uh -huh. They may uh, pass away right there on the phone. Right. Um, uh, we people who call in who may be suicidal, all of that, you have to know how to handle those types of things. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, a lot of times the only thing that's 2020 is hindsight, you know. Sure. But we try to take the guesswork as much as possible out of everything that our communications officers do. Uh -huh. We have a script that they follow for EMS, for emergency medical services purposes, uh, for police and for fire. Um, but even with all of that, there are some things that you're just going to have to use common sense. Sure. On. Absolutely. So, and, and so we try to, there's a lot of training involved in this, in this job, a lot of certifications that you have to have. You can't just walk off the streets sure. um, and sit at the desk and somebody say, here, do what I do. Um, we have implemented over the, over my tenure, we've implemented a lot of training, whereas communications officers, it really wasn't a whole lot of training out there in the industry for us. But now they're, uh, we're working on a state level, on a national level to make sure um, that, that we cover our bases and that communications officers have the right foundation on which to start um, in this industry. Um, when Before Russ came on board, um, I used to get asked a lot of questions. Well, what happens with this? Or uh, where does it say that in the policy, uh, in the policy pertaining to communications officer? And I would just get, I would get on the computer and, uh -huh. and query my peers. Sure. And there was this name that kept popping up, Russ Palmer. Russ Palmer. <laughs> and, uh, and I was like, man, I'm going to have to call Russ. I'm going to have to email Russ and see okay. if he can help me out with this. So he was our go-to person on a state level. Okay. Uh, with the Directors Association, himself and this other young man named Jonathan Jones, um, they were the ones that that we actually kind of went to for guidance on certain policies and procedures as it pertained to communications officer. So I was delighted when he came on board. I was like, hey, well, I don't have to make that call anymore. <laughs> she just walks down the hall and says, hey, what'd you think about this? Yeah. And I think that's great. I mean, that, that is, that is awesome. That means that you, you know what you're doing and you fit in here and you're, you're helping um, form our department. And I think that's, that's awesome. Abby, I know you and I, we, we live our life. It seems like going from, from crisis to crisis and public information. That just seems to be the way of the world. But I don't know about you, but I, I couldn't do what they do. I really couldn't. No, and something that's always stuck with me, Diane, is when you told me, um, this is a good way of putting it, that whenever someone calls, they're calling on probably one of the worst days of their life. So you're yes. not you're you're dealing with someone who's panicking potentially, something really awful is going on. And yeah. I, that really put it into perspective. You know, anytime the phone rings, you don't know what's gonna be on the other end. And so I just really appreciate 
um, those that are able to take on that task and to work in 911 because it's such an important job. It absolutely is. You've mentioned a couple times some of the technology um, and some of the technology is changing. So, Russ, this question is for you. (laughs) (laughs) Tell me about some of the the newer technologies. Just in a high overview, we're going to have you back to talk about them a little bit more in depth. And I should tell you that I absolutely love tech. Tech hates me. (laughs) So I'm probably going to ask a lot of stupid questions, but just bear with me. It's okay. Um, So Ms. Diane already talked a little bit about our CAD system, the computer-aided dispatch system. It is kind of the the whole brain of the operation, if you will. Everything goes into that. All the calls go into it. It gives us uh, our recommendations for police, fire, and EMS who to send. That's kind of the central place for everything to to be saved in, to, to be stored in. We pull all of our records from it. It's, it's, the, it's the true brain of the operation. But to put it in there, you have to know where you're at. Uh-huh. So we have um, our phone system. We have a... We're, blessed enough to have a, a nice phone system that's capable of receiving. They have different phases of a 911 call, if you will. Um, okay. They have phase one technology, which kind of gives you a, a general roundabout location based off of the cell phone tower itself. So um, 85% of our calls come from uh, cell phones. Mm-hmm. So nobody has a landline anymore and really uses it. So 85% of our call volume comes on a cell phone, which can be a challenge in itself when it comes to locating people. Um, but with the phase one technology, it gives us a, a rough location of where they're at based on the tower. Uh, and then we have phase two technology, which actually starts to triangulate based off of the location of the phone. So it'll triangulate it on the tower and it can actually get down to what, like 30 meters of, of where it's wow, at just based close. off of that. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a pretty good route. But I mean, if you're in a crowded area and 30 meters, that's a that's a right. big area when you're walking down River Street trying to figure out where you're at. So Absolutely. Uh, we've recently implemented uh, a wonderful program called Rapid SOS. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been hugely beneficial for us. We've had a lot of uh, success with it. Um, it takes pretty much every type of connectable device, and your phone's one of those devices. So it'll take it. It uses the... GPS location. It uses the phase one, phase two technology in the wireless carrier. Um, it uses Bluetooth. It uses all kind of different things that'll connect back to it and give us a more precise location with it. I mean, we can get it down to like five meters with that. Oh, wow. The only bad thing is not all carriers participate in it and okay. not all phones are eligible for it. So we still have to know where you are. That's just a tool that we can use sometimes to help to help locate it and and whenever we have used it and been able to use it successfully, it's been a huge game changer for us. I'm sure it is. I mean, that's as with, with like you said, a lot of people don't have landline phones. Right. I just got rid of my landline phone at home. Only people that had my phone number was my mom and my mother-in-law, and they still called on our cell phones. So right. it was kind of like, why, why do you pay for it? Um, but it does, uh, it's always something that's worried me that if I became incapacitated, couldn't tell 911 what was going on, that they wouldn't be able to find me. But now that makes me feel a little bit better. Yeah. Um, the, the key with a cell phone is to stay on the phone. Because yeah. the longer that we keep you on the phone, especially a cell phone, the more time that the technology has to catch up with itself and, and can actually get a more precise location with it. So, Is there a certain amount of time that it takes to, to do that? Or is it just it, sometimes it's a little bit yeah, longer than others? It, it really depends on, you know, the 
the conditions outside. It depends on how close you are to the tower, so how good your cell phone strength okay. signal is. And there's no magic time frame to, to get it every time. That makes sense. And something I was wondering, um, how how is it handled if someone calls and they're not, uh, they don't speak English? How, how do you communicate? Are there um, communicators that can translate that speak Spanish or some other languages fluently, or is there some technology in place to help with that? We use language line services. Um, they, they're a service that actually um, assist us. We, they, we dial in, we have their number programmed into our phones in the radio room, and basically uh, they will identify the language, whether it's Vietnamese, whether it's Thai, whether it's Spanish, um, and, find, and find an interpreter for us. And we've been using that for some time now. They have like 140 different languages that they can help translate. So wow. it's a one-stop shop for pretty much everything you need. That's that's pretty amazing. And I yeah. assume that they can do that pretty fast, actually, for you. It isn't like, oh, well, we have to identify us, and it's going to take a couple minutes, and then it's going to be another couple minutes before we find you a translator. You're working in an emergency. This has to be right. done, like, really quick. Yeah. Yeah, and usually uh, the person can identify to the operator what language they speak. Okay. Um, so we we try to make it as efficient as possible um, to try and get help to everyone. If they can tell us their location, we can send them help while yeah. we're trying to find a translate translator. But uh, the key is knowing where they need the help. Right. Um, and if they if they need EMS, fire, police, but if they can't tell us. We can actually send somebody if we know the location, um, and then they can tell us what what they need. But in order to make sure that it's most efficient, we uh-huh. basically, uh, people need to be educated on how to provide information to us um, should they be in trouble, whether they need EMS, whether they need fire, whether they need police, whether they, they need animal services. Um, efficiency is the key. And let's let's talk about that a little bit more because you've mentioned it several different times, and I know we're getting towards the end of our program, so I want to make sure that we get this in here today. When I call nine one one because I have an emergency, you need certain information from me, and you need it. You mentioned in in a certain format, right? Tell us what that is. The format is tell us where you need the help. Um, where the person's calling from may not be where they need emergency services. So the location is key. Um, Then tell us what's going on. Um, Are there any weapons involved? If it's something that, like a domestic dispute or or something where an officer's safety, uh, the responders might, uh, there might be a threat to their lives. Um, Who has the weapon? What's their description? Are they male, female? Um, Give us their description from head to toe from the outside in everything, the most obvious clothing first. Uh-huh. So that the officers are responders when they get there, they can readily identify the person who may be the threat. Um, what kind of, if they're in a vehicle, what kind of vehicle are they driving? Um, from the top to the bottom, color, year, make, model, uh, body style, tag number. If we can get a tag number, if they leave the scene, then we can actually query that information in our system and find out what, kind of vehicle and who that vehicle is registered to. Um, So those are kinds of directional travel. Um, Which way did they go? Um, How many people were involved? So those are all key elements that we need, even in our EMS response. If somebody broke their leg, uh, the EMS personnel wouldn't have to carry in their 
their defibrillator equipment. Sure. <laughs> so telling us what the problem is, um, giving us accurate and concise information would ensure the appropriate response. And, and I want to just make a point here. All that information is super important, and we need to try to give all that information as as well as you can. But if something's wrong and you can't communicate by just keeping that line open, you guys are going to find them and send them help, right? As best as you can. As best as, as we, best can. we can. Yeah. Um, yeah, but, I was say, the, the only thing is we have to know something's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, we we get a lot of 911 calls where all you hear is like a swishing noise of somebody's pocket because mm-hmm. their phone called 911. So, sure. you know, it's not necessarily that we're going to send uh, for every 911 call that we get somebody to or else we'd be chasing pockets all day. <laughs> sure. Um, so we have to kind of know something's going on. But our folks are trained to active listen and, and listen to the background noise. And you know, are they hearing something going on? Are they hearing an argument in the background? Or are they hearing like gasping noises if it might be something medical related? So, you know, they're, they're trained to listen to the background and try and make sure there's something going on to it. But so if, if you do keep the line open, hopefully we can get something out of you just to know that, you know, I need help is obviously good enough. Absolutely. And right, go ahead. I'm sorry. People knowing uh, building numbers, mm-hmm. um, yes. pay attention. Even all of us as citizens, um, when we're traveling especially, Um, Know where you are. Pay attention to mile markers, direction of travel, north, south, east, west, um, so that if you have a situation, whether you're involved or whether another citizen or a motorist is involved, you'll be able to, if you dial 911, you'll be able to say we're I-16 eastbound at the 155 mile marker. That will help uh, responders, regardless of what city you're in, um, actually pinpoint your location. if there are chemicals and things of that nature involved, we need to know that. If it's spilled out onto the roadway, if it's uh, in the air, uh, whatever the case may be, first of all, keep yourself safe right? and uh, get to a safe location where you can provide information to us. And if you can't talk, leave the, as Russ said, leave the phone open, mm. the phone line open so that we can triangulate where you are, sure. um, especially if you have a smartphone um you know, one of the later phones. Yeah. Um, they that will help us to find out where you are within a certain um, area, proximity. So uh, the key is knowing what information to give us. Um, if you don't know, just tell us everything you do know. Tell us what sure. you see, landmarks, things of that nature um, that can aid in in a response. And in my world, we call that situational awareness. Mm-hmm. Be aware of where you are mm-hmm. and what's around you. Um, I know, I, I thank God I've never, never been a, a 911 communicator, but I did work at a law enforcement agency where I did take information. So I had to run through a list of questions with people and that taught me to be more aware of my surroundings. Mm-hmm. So I'd play games with myself and I still find myself doing it even after all these years of being gone mm-hmm. from that, that certain position, but I'll be driving through my neighborhood and I'll see something that just looks a little odd to me. And I look, okay, I noted the time, I noted who was around, the house number, what cars were there. I'm not going to take, you know, the the license tag numbers, but you try to be situationally aware so that you can remember. So if something ever does come up, you can go back and say, you know what, there was yeah. a red car, there was a sedan that was sitting here. 
Now, I'm probably going to know the make and model because I'm a car person. Yeah. But I wouldn't expect my <laughs> husband to know that because he's right. not a car person. Mm-hmm. But I'd expect him to know that there's a red car there. So I think that if people are trying to be a little bit more situationally aware of what's mm-hmm. around them, they can certainly help more in an emergency. Just my my little two cents on it, and I'm going to shut up now because we're over time. Okay. But we're gonna we're gonna do our final thoughts here. So, Abby, final thoughts, questions. Um, just a quick question. There may be an instance where someone um, doesn't. Ne- it's not necessarily an emergency, but they want to report something. Mm-hmm. So I know there's a non-emergency line that um, people can call. What is that number? It's nine one two six five two six five zero zero. Okay. Um, and if you're not sure and you don't can't remember that number, mm-hmm. call us on nine one one. Okay. Um, the other thing we would we would like to mention is that uh, we do have scripts that our communications officers have to ask questions from, uh-huh. and I know that it seems like you may be asked a library of questions, but it's important to answer the questions. We do have the capability of actually typing your location in and basic information that's needed to actually get the units rolling or get them en route to you, but they will continue to ask you questions that will help us to determine your needs. And that information is then communicated to your dispatch officers that then go to either the police officers, the EMS, or or fire, so that they're getting the most updated information before they walk into your your incident. Yes, exactly. Awesome. Russ, final thoughts? Uh, Just thank you for having us out here. Uh, we hope to come back and do some more. I, yeah, like that. I like that tech talk idea. We could have some fun with that. <laughs> Uh-oh, I think I just got myself into a whole lot of trouble here. I think so. But I think it'll be a lot of fun. Yeah. Diane, final thoughts? Call us if you need us. If you're not sure uh, which agency to call, we're there. We're 24-hour operation. Um, we do police, fire, and EMS. But uh, one, just like we want to help you, we need your help in order to make sure that um, you are educated or you get the the services that you need from us. So uh, we also have uh, people who do quality assurance. Um, If you have a problem with a call, um, that the way that it was handled or whatever, uh, the public needs to know that they can contact us, myself, Russ, uh, Deputy Director McCook, um, talk to us personally about your experience. And that's how we get better. We want to make sure that our staff does what they're supposed to do. Absolutely. Customer service is a a very important thing here at Team Chatham uh, for us, both internal and external, but especially that external customer service to our residents and our visitors. Uh, That's one of our highest priorities here in the county. And I think that your quality quality control officer and um, just the fact that people can reach out to you guys if, if needed is so important. Um, to our our residents so that they can let you know when you do a good job and when, you know, they don't feel like you did a good job. Uh, That's that's important for us to know. As Russ said before, we handle over 700,000 calls for service a year. Mm -hmm. So in that number of calls, uh, sometimes mistakes are made. Sure. And the only way that we're going to know that we've made mistakes is for us to have feedback in the communications world. Uh, there's a statement that says, there's a phrase, uh, feedback completes the loop of understanding. Oh, I like that. So uh, if we get feedback from our citizens, I mean, you are our customers. And when I'm not, when we're not working, we're citizens. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, so we ex- we expect good, excellent customer service 
uh, in our in our part as citizens. So when we're on our jobs, when we're working, it's not just a job for us because we want to help lives, save lives. We want to impact people's lives in a positive way. Uh-huh. So the only way that we're going to do that is to, first of all, make sure that our communications officers have a good foundation on which to build, that they have all the resources and tools that they need. And then uh, once they utilize these tools and resources, they're actually in there doing the job. Then, And we need to hear from the citizens in the event something's not right or even when something's really good. Sure. Because everybody likes to hear that they've done something exceptionally well. So we want to reward them. And even if it's just saying, hey, uh, John Q. Public or Miss Palmer called and said that you did an excellent job on that call. Thank you for helping save her life. Uh That kind of completes the circle for them. Sure. Because a lot of times responders don't get a lot of closure when it comes to the calls or situations Uh that they've handled. So that actually helps us in more ways than one. But we encourage our people, hey, do the best that you can. And when you pick up that phone, you think about the kind of service that you want as a citizen. And that's what you need to give. I think that's an awesome way of looking at it. Well, thank you guys so much for being here today. We are going to have you guys back to do a series of um, podcasts with us so that we can really get into 911, talk about that tech talk. Talk about some more things about people calling in, some of the other things that you guys do. Um, So we're looking forward to having you back with us. And thank you all for joining us today on the chat about all things Chatham. Have a great day and we'll see you next week.